The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Afternoons with Mike. This is an exciting day for me on the phone, and it's been a while. Dave Zanotti is president of the American Policy Roundtable, host of The Public Square, which is heard every day here on The Shepherd. Could not be more excited to have him back on the program. Welcome back, Dave. Hi, Mike. It's great to talk with you again. It's always good to talk with you. There have been so many things that's been cooking in the last several months, it's been a while again since you've been on the program, but I know you have been busy. And one of the things, obviously, that kind of captured your time and the, the efforts of the team, and I kept up with what you guys were doing and saying, and it seemed so important, and that was the whole Ohio ballot that uh, just did not turn out the way any of us had hoped for. So we're going to talk about that in a moment, and then the implications about the same thing in Florida. But before we do any of that, I've got to have a most important pressing question. How in the world was Christmas in America? (laughs) Well, people say, wait a minute, did I miss Christmas? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. No, there's still time. <laughs> still time. The 25th has not yet happened. It's not a par- parallel universe or anything like that. But you guys always put on an annual show. You pick out a year. And this year, I think it was 28, 1928? 1928, yeah. We are the warm-up act for Christmas every year. And we start uh, the Sunday of Thanksgiving. And uh, we do two uh, live radio variety shows uh, before a live uh, studio audience. And this year, once again, we were in Nashville for the premiere and then to, in Cleveland, Ohio for the second show. And uh, the year was 1928, uh, Christmas in America, 1928. Now you think, gee, that's a, that's one that I don't remember even a paragraph mentioned in my history books going to school. And, and that's true. It's not a year that people talk about very much uh, because things were going so well in 1928 in so many places. Uh, and, and, and so it's, it's, it's an often overlooked year. But there was a tremendous amount of um, technological advances. There was an amazing amount of advances in the, in the realm of music and the arts. But most significantly, America was on the threshold of the Great Depression. And we thought it would be most interesting to look at what life looked for just 10 months before America fell off a cliff and went through 10 years of arguably the worst 10 years domestically in the history of our country. And it became a fascinating study. And of course, we're looking for where's the manger in 1928. And boy, we found some amazing stories of faith and of, of true belief. And uh, well, I won't go any farther except to tell you, both the book on the show, the script and the, and the uh, narrative of the storytelling of the history, as well as the music was extraordinary. And the audience's response has been wonderful. There's so many things about this that I, I just want to bring out, and my mind starts getting flooded with responses to all that you've just said. But first of all, the fact that it's a radio program, number one, a variety radio program, it kind of it kind of walks us back, doesn't it, to those early days when radio, before television, radio was the family source of entertainment, and they had all these programs, Bob Hope and all of these other people way back when, that would do these variety programs, and they were wonderful and very imaginative. And in this day and age, you're doing the same thing. Yeah, and we started, this is the 13th episode, so 13 years ago was the first Christmas in America. And I have to tell you, 13 years ago, there weren't about 2 million people doing podcasts. That's right. Um, but the, but all that's happened in the last 13, 14, 15 years because there's a return uh, in the American population. There's a return and a strong desire for thought-based content and quality music in long-format programming. People are really have grown really exhausted uh, in in regards to what happens in most forms of media. People are tired of being used as clickbait, and they find that longer term 
discussions, presentations, and particularly music, is is a wonderful way to spend their time. So a lot of people are are. I mean, this is kind of surprising because in 1928, television was just on the launching pad. There were actually TV networks in production and use in Schenectady, New York in 1928. Now, I did not know that because it was yeah. the 50s before it became much more widespread. And what happened was the cost of technolo- technological development based upon 10 years of a severely underperforming American economy put television on ice while radio soared absolutely soared because it was accessible and 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 it was uh, affordable even through the great depression so there were four technologies uh, in communications at the at the starting gate in 1928 uh, basically television went onto ice and radio soared the victrola which looked like it could be the biggest thing since sliced bread but it 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 faded away and and the other technology was talkies talking moving pictures i was going to ask that yes they they made it as well. So those two technologies changed the world. Mike, I found an interesting statistic in nineteen in, in regards to the amount of radio listening uh, from nineteen twenty eight through the Great Depression. Uh, research says shows that the average American household had their radio on at least five hours a day. And believe it or not, yeah, in nineteen twenty eight, the Motorola company actually began in nineteen twenty eight in Chicago, Illinois. And, and, and within a few months after that time, had car radios actually in development and then brought them to market. You know, and that did change everything because, uh, number one, everyone was able to listen to something while they're driving. And, of course, driving itself, transportation was starting to really ramp up. And more and more people were, were just depending on more households had multiple cars. So, you know, radio was right there and a big part of all of that. And it's so odd that in in my lifetime now, of course, I can't imagine a time where radio wasn't important. That's all I did. It's what I did in the 70s. But this day and age, uh, people are rediscovering, like you said earlier, they're rediscovering the power and the benefit of being able to listen to something that is a little bit more than just 30-second flash of uh, production and uh, uh, TV stuff and all of the fluff that goes with a lot of programming you can really get down into a discussion. Well, I, I think that the, the human being designed by the creator uh, does a better job with ideas when they're heard as opposed to seen. Uh, the scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That there is a very powerful reality in the way that we've been made uh, in our capacity to think and to think through ideas as we hear them. And I'm a strong believer in the power of human imagination, and in essence, if you will, of radio of the mind. Um, this is, and, and, and this also is why we read, because as we read things, you hear the voice inside your head. Mm-hmm. So radio is really, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, look at most what we consider to be cable news today. All it is is a talk radio show with a camera in front of the host. And they try to dress it up with panels and try to dress it up with audiences and flashy things on the screen. But it's basically you looking at a human being who's talking to you. Yeah. Well, you know, they spend more money in hair and makeup on those shows in one week than we have for a budget in the entire year. And so we've decided it's really not worth competing at that zone. But it makes a whole lot more sense to create old-time quality radio programming that people enjoy listening to. They listen to more than one time. They share with friends. And the amazing thing today, Mike, is that what, what, what all of us have in our pocket or on our desks or in our hands right now, that smartphone is your new transistor radio. The great thing is, is it's digital and the batteries last a really long time. <laughs> That's and true. you are not bound by an antenna. You you can listen to programming from anywhere in the world, and you can share programming anywhere in the world. So the concept of long-term audio or long-format audio content is actually going to capture this market. In fact, RFK Jr. made an interesting comment recently. He said he thinks that the next presidential debate will be dominated by podcasting, that in essence there will be more content communicated by long-format audio than there will in an average news cycle. Well, it makes sense, Dave, because there are so many advantages to the whole idea of podcasts. I mean, what, you know, again, I went in radio in the 70s, early 70s, 
And when we were doing that, and even for the years leading up to that as a listener, you had one shot. If there was something that was going to happen and you knew it was going to happen, like special uh, programming that you would hear about, man, I would have that little uh, pocket uh, transistor radio. I could pull, pull it out, hold it in my hand. But, but if you missed it, you missed it. And in this day and age, we've got these podcasts now that are listener on demand. And that's what this program will be. People will be able to listen to this program when they want to, when it's convenient, maybe while it's in their car, while they're in their car, or maybe while they're at home. And that would have been a wonderful thing back in 1928 if people could have just <laughs> dialed that in whenever they that's wanted right. to. Well, and, and organizations like the Shepherd Radio Network and Mark Communications are embracing this uh, integrated technology where we're thrilled to be on every radio station that we are on the Shepherd Network. And we love traditional radio. We love radio in our cars. We love radio at every possible area. And, and it's the same thing is, is happening with the, uh, with the iHeart Networks. Um, there are, are a number of significant people that are invested in audio communications that see it as an integrated strategy. You listen on the radio, you listen on your phone, you listen online. And they're, because these networks are content creators, they're not threatened by the new technology. They're embracing it to reach people wherever they are. And then people say, oh, you don't understand. AM radio is, you can't even get AM radio in some electric cars. Let me tell you something, Mike. AM radio is going to be around for a whole long time for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the fact that it's free. And secondly, that when it comes to if there's ever an emergency, and we know in Florida, we may, thank be to God, we got through a hurricane season with, with great results this year, but we know when disasters strike, you need a radio. That's right. It's very important, and you can't... Uh... Imagine sometimes just how powerful it is. I received an email two days ago from someone in Scotland who was a big radio enthusiast, is a big radio enthusiast, and picked up our station. And ironically, Dave, you know what they were listening to? The Public Square. They were listening to you and the introduction, and they wrote me. And it is so cool to see how that they picked this up, and, they, and these guys, they like having the radio people in their faraway countries that they pick up on, on these skips and things like that. They like to get affirmation from us that that was indeed our station. And, wow. you know, that's that happened, and they even mentioned, <laughs> I'll have to send you that email. It, it, would you please, our supporters would be so grateful for that. Yeah. And among among those supporters, I count the people at Mark and at the Shepherd Network, Um uh, we're more than just uh, broadcast partners or uh, uh, connected by a common vision. We consider all of you dear friends, and we're very, very grateful for the opportunity every time we get a chance to talk. Well, I, I feel the same way, my friend. Now, you've said one other thing earlier, talking about Christmas in America, and I don't want it to be lost on people who haven't heard one of your programs yet, and that is the Look for the Manger searching for the manger. Tell us yes. about that and that concept, because that's a really big deal. And it's a really big part of Christmas in America this year, 1928. Well, I've had the privilege as, as I have a number of our, my associates at the American policy Roundtable. we study history and we've had the opportunity to do that at a number of levels that we're very grateful for with a number of people whom we thank God for every day. Um, we've had we had the privilege of, of, of friendship with one of the greatest historians of the modern era, David McCullough, uh, and and uh, many of our conversations have reached the programming and are in our inventory at thepublicsquare.com. Um, we've had uh, continue to have an ongoing wonderful relationship with one of America's best historians and political philosophers, Dr. William B. Allen, uh, and and again those programs continue to be played right here on the Shepherd, um, and and. It, it's an, an avocation. Our, when you walk into the American Mission Center, there's very little artwork on the walls because all the walls are custom-built bookshelves. Uh, that's our art. Our art are the books. And uh, we have uh, recently received a 4,000-volume gift of part of the library of uh, Dr. William B. Allen. Uh, and, and so our entire upstairs library at the American Mission Center is now the works of Dr. William B. Allen. And, and, and including, for example, Mike, we have all the volumes of the writings of George Washington. I think there's 21 uh, volumes 
of, of writings of Washington that uh, Dr. Allen used to create the 700-page book that's been sold since the 90s at Mount Vernon, the home of General Washington, on the most significant writings, letters, and, and speeches of George Washington that he made that define his view of both life and reality and the American promise and the American enterprise. Well, those 21 volumes are what Dr. Allen, over 100,000 documents, which Dr. Allen worked through to create that 700 pages. That 700 pages is what um, we were able to use to create the book first that, that I wrote on uh, the leadership of George Washington, and Dr. Allen was gracious enough to do the introduction for that work. So uh, we are into history. We are into books. So when we apply that journey into Christmas in America, it is an exciting adventure, but it's also a risky one because you can't preset history. You've got to go find what you find. And you say, well, what would happen if you went to a, I mean, you've studied 13 different years in American history. What happened if you went to a year and you didn't find the manger? Well, for one thing, I don't know that we do a radio show on it, but it also would be a shock because every time we go looking for Christmas, you find Christmas in America. And that's a significant reality. And not just the celebration. That in and of itself is significant. The very celebration of Christmas, which is the single most uh, celebrated holiday still in the Western world, and in fact, the entire world, if you really think about it. Uh, why? Why? Why is such? Why does this day exist, especially in culture that is now so far past an acknowledgement of the vibrancy and the essence of Christianity? Why is Christmas still celebrated? Why is the calendar still divided? A.D. BC. What happened that day? Well, that's what we go looking for. How did people respond to the real story of Christmas, which is today, the greatest news of all, is born to you in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Boy, keeping the main thing the main thing. That's exactly what you're doing with that. And what a brilliant concept to start reading history with the aim and the goal of finding where you can find the entries into those books that talk about the manger, that talk about the gospel. That is a brilliant concept, Dave. Well, we weren't sure when we started. Uh, we, we, we received uh, through a lot of, uh, back in 2009, uh, we had a meeting and with about a dozen or so people that we really thought were, were, were thought leaders in our country and looking at where did we need to move in the arena of public policies and organization as a mission. And the very first thought we came away with after three days of prayer and fasting and, and, and consorting together was the idea that whatever we do in regards to broadcast media, we should start with Christmas. We didn't know what that meant, but it's from that start with Christmas. Those three words is where this entire project began. Isn't that something? How many years now have you done this? 13 episodes, so that's 26 hours of programming. It's like uh, producing 13 Broadway musicals <laughs> one a year. <laughs> now, it, it's important that people realize that this is not done in the context of, let's say, a single person uh, gathering just a whole bunch of different clips and then kind of editing them all together. This is a big room, and you've got a big production, and Nashville musicians that are there, and they're putting all of this together in real time, but it is like an old-fashioned radio uh, variety program. It's what it's like. It's incredibly cool, and it's it's almost as great listening to it on the air. And for some people, they find it even more, more enjoyable. Whether you're there in person or whether you're listening in the air, you get the full impact. And yes, Mike, we had a band this year. I know we got to take a break, but we had a band this year that was, and it, it's it, actually this year, it's the band. We don't know what else to call them because if everybody knew how famous these people really were, <laughs> it, it, it might not be good for us. We have a group of musicians that are amazing. I'm up against a break. My guest today is Dave Zanotti from the Public Square. And we'll be back in a moment talking about Christmas in America. It's coming up, folks. We'll be right back. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. 
an evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. My guest today is Dave Zanotti. He is the host of The Public Square. It's heard a couple of times each day on all of the Shepherd stations. It's really one of my favorite things. And we were talking in the, in the before the break about Christmas in America this year. It's going to be Christmas in America 1928. But I have to I, I go back a couple of years ago, Dave. I've got to tell you, it's just the brilliance of this program and what happens. And I think a lot of people probably experience what happened to me that year. I'm, I have a, a, an event, and I'm at this event uh, here in the city of Orlando, and I'm done. I'm running sound for it. So, I, And I'm, I've got an event to go all the way up in Sanford. Now, those in, uh, that are listening by podcast, that was for me about a, about a 40-minute drive in that traffic and all of that. So I'm on my way from that event to my second event, which is a party. And I'm on my way up there alone, listening to Christmas in America on the radio. And I had the most unusual experience. I'm nearing my destination, but the program is not over. And I'm wishing I could time compress and listen to the rest of the show. Cause I didn't want to get out to go in the party, man. That's what happened. <laughs> It's it's an exciting experience, Mike, and, and it's also a scary experience because each of these shows is done one time, and then it's added into the inventory. It's kind of like the old concept that we used to have when the uh, tire companies, Firestone and Goodyear and these companies that with national franchise outlets used to create a Christmas album every year, and if you came in to the Firestone or the Goodyear store, you could buy it for a dollar. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I collected those records as a kid, and I still have several of them. And it's it's sort of the, it's a it's a once a year edition. Uh, of course, the wonderful reality is you can go back at thepublicsquare.com and listen to all thirteen episodes. But the live events are never repeated, so they they happen one time. Now, what's scary about that is you don't have like a, a typical a stage presentation. You don't have focus groups where you can run it for a week in an off city and find out what the audience really thinks <laughs> you go, you go live on the stage and you hope that you were hearing from the Holy ghost and that you got the story right. And that it's what was supposed to be said. And, it, and that's really what we pray every year. What we pray is whether we're good or bad or indifferent, that the message that comes to us from Luke chapter two, the story of the greatest moment in human history, when God came here looking for us, that we're able to tell that story honestly and we're able to reflect on how people were looking for that same manger in the particular year that we search for. You know, I think about the greatest story ever told. And, you know, we, we've heard the phrase, the greatest show on earth that was happening back with the circus years ago. Uh, that, that phrase just falls short when you think about the importance and the beauty of the Christmas story, which indeed is obviously the first part of the greatest story that ever was told. And it, it culminates at Easter with the resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection. But it had its beginning on that starry night when the angels pro proclaimed before all that were below them, rejoice for this day born unto you is a savior. And boy, we needed and we still do need so many need. They need a savior. And we, yeah, we, we, we truly, really need a Savior now. It's interesting, Mike, because one of the things that we reflect upon in, in this year's show in 1928 is the fact that all those angels broke through the veil of invisibility. And the, the, to, as to, to record at this point, the greatest manifestation of an angelic appearance ever recorded in all of human history. And they brought their music with them. And this entire amazing display in the heavens was performed, if you will, displayed, presented to a handful of working people working the night shift called the shepherds. Yes. <laughs> Third shifters. That's right. Now, there is a profound irony and humor in all of that. 
Uh, and it's an interesting theme that becomes a part of Christmas in America 1928. I won't go any farther, though, because I don't want to give you too many spoiler alerts. All right. Now, you did mention one other thing that I want to talk before we change subjects, and that is the band that was in Christmas in America. I know that you've got a number of just world-class musicians. Chris Rodriguez on guitar and vocals, that's one. And I just happen to be a huge Chris Rodriguez fan. I've, I've never met him. Dave, you've got to introduce me sometime because I love this guy. He is just amazing. Probably one of the the biggest names that nobody knows in my mind. He's toured with, with the likes of Keith Urban and so many other top artists. Oh my goodness. He is just amazing. His voice is amazing. His guitar playing is second to none. And then you've got Jeff Taylor who is one of Nashville's just go-to guys on accordion. It's just amazing what you have. Well, and here's the fascinating thing about this, Mike. And again, you as a, as a trained professional musician will catch this very quickly. Um, but people watching the show uh, were kind of, first off, they were pretty amazed at all the sound, live sound. Now, we're not talking about stems that are being produced and played and mixed in with the recorded sound with, with live sound. This was a live band for the entire performance because you didn't have stems in 1928. So you didn't have orchestral uh, dubbing and karaoke overtracks or undertracks or whatever. So uh, we had six musicians and I lost count in the presentation at the number of instruments those six musicians played, I lost track at around 20. You'll think that we had a orchestra there when you listen to it on the radio, a small orchestra because of the number. And of course, Jeff is the musical director of the project. And uh, again, he is, uh, if you take those six artists and and then the vocalists that were with us as well, and you take their uh, uh, number of Grammys that they, records that they played on, uh, you'd be well over a hundred. Oh Yeah. They're just amazing. And again, for those that know a little bit about the musician scene in Nashville, there's this thing called studio musicians. That's what they are. They are so good. They're not only great players, but they have this ability to invent hooks and little licks, if you will, that become memorable. And those are what sell a lot of records. Now, of course, when they sold records, but they are... Now they sell songs, <laughs> yes. Now they sell songs. They still, that's right. They do that. And and so they invent all of these wonderful lines that become the memorable licks that we all hum to ourselves. And that's what you have. You have some of Nashville's best session musicians. Oh, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity. And all of them are deeply committed to the message uh, because they're deeply committed to the Messiah. And that's a wonderful experience to work with true believers that give of their time, energy, and talent and travel with us for roughly we take a week out of their prime season in in Christmas time, and they volunteer. And you mentioned Chris Rodriguez. Chris is always the first person in line saying, I'm in this year. Wow. And again, he travels, he, he's doing a lot of thing with a guy that right now used to be the lead singer for Chicago. He's traveling all around with them. And I keep up, I try to keep up with what he's doing, where he's playing. <laughs> well, then you know that Chris is actually on Dolly Parton's new rock and roll album. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he played, yeah. Yeah, Chris is there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, again, the, she has chosen, again, the very top names and the top musicians in the world for that album. And uh, fittingly, uh, Chris is in there. So that's pretty cool. Well, give us the date when this is going to air. Yeah, we'll be airing uh, the on, on Christmas Eve, uh, the, the weekend of, and this will, this will post right before Christmas Eve. It's actually going to post probably on the 16th and then again on the 23rd. So you'll be able to get both episodes, uh, and there is a cliffhanger. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like uh, w- watching some of that stuff on those streaming cable channels. You get the first episode the week of this uh, around the sixteenth, and then the second episode will come out the twenty third. Wow, that is so cool! Can't wait for it. Christmas in America, nineteen twenty eight, and Dave's given us all just a taste of what we can expect. Uh, friends, mark it down. You don't want to miss the public square that week for sure. And if you do, well, then you've got the ability 
Well, listen on demand, so do that. Christmas in America, 1928. Now, Dave, we've got to switch gears and talk about some things that I know really, in addition to all the work you've been doing for Christmas in America this year, you have been working around the clock. Uh, I have no idea how many hours you put in for that Ohio vote. But uh, America right now is, we're at a crossroads without a doubt. And even this day, there are news uh, that comes out about all of the emails that are proving that our president actually did know a lot of the things that he said he didn't know anything and never discussed about. America right now is just bracing for problems on the home front, problems on the the foreign front. But then you add to that, you've got this thing that's going on with the votes like what happened in Ohio with abortion and a great loss to our freedoms took place just a couple of weeks ago. So tell us about what you've been doing, what the aftermath is of that vote in Ohio. Well, Mike, some of us were around. I was, I was in high school, just getting out of high school and I graduated in 1973. And, uh, Interestingly enough, 1973 has been a year that's been recently recommended that we do a Christmas in America about, which I find kind of interesting. But 1973 uh, was January 22nd was uh, the Roe versus Wade decision. Now, I'm hesitant to tell you this on the radio. I've already took a, taken a screenshot of it. Uh, but recently, um, I went on Wikipedia, and I say, well, why do you go to Wikipedia? Well, Harvard University recently did a very significant study. The binder is about three inches thick, uh, and we have it, a print copy of uh, who owns the media in the United States of America and who are the largest media outlets who reach the most people in our country. And at the very top, the single most influential uh, media outlet in America is Wikipedia. They have 1.7 billion visitors a month. Uh, and so, uh, like it or not, and I'm not a fan, but like it or not, that document, that documentary file, Wikipedia, that source influences a tremendous amount of people. Well, when you go on uh, their site, I went into the year 1973, and and they they do an analysis of historic events that happened in a year. Uh, they no longer list Roe versus Wade. Are you kidding me? It's now, by the time I say that, someone who does editing for Wikipedia will probably rush and put it back on. And that's the uh, thing. I mean, people can really adjust what's there and what's not there. They can add to something. And that's why Wikipedia is, I understand it, is so criticized is because it's not uh, necessarily verified as being truth. So there could be fake news, if you will, on Wikipedia. Yeah, it's kind of history by public opinion poll, whoever gets there first. Um, but, but, uh, and I found that most interesting. The reason I bring that up is whether they change it or not, or, or however that will choose to play out. The impact of Roe versus Wade was what we really saw manifested in the state of Ohio in this last year, 50 years of living under the shadow of Roe versus Wade, 50 years of the impact of Roe versus Wade, uh, has corrupted our society and it has corrupted our minds. Uh, we are not anywhere near the way we felt about abortion, the way we thought about abortion uh, today as we were back in 1973. And here's an example of something that we've discovered. Uh, and the reason that we took so much time to focus on the Ohio debate is because the other side is so focused on the Ohio debate. It was a very significant, in some cases, if we were to use a, 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 a battleground illustration from the Civil War, Ohio might well have been Gettysburg in regards to the fight over the right to life. It was a most significant focused moment where all the players that are in the debate, they were all on the field, including George Soros and his best friends in the Billionaires Club from the progressive left who invested over $40 billion in an off-off election year ballot issue in a single state. That has never happened before in American history. So the the reason that this is so significant is that it shows us that Americans have lost the ability to define what abortion is. 
one of the most amazing things was tracking the media that we did and the engagement that we were, which was as complete as we know how to do. Um, and, and that was that if you were to ask people in Ohio on election day, what's abortion? You would find almost none of them would answer the way the dictionary defines abortion. That they, 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 Very few would say abortion is the termination of a human pregnancy. Most people would say, what's abortion? It's a woman's right. This is how the debate has declined in American thinking and how effective the abortion industry has been in convincing us that there are no longer two sets of rights involved. There are no longer two humans involved. What we now have is abortion is just politics. Abortion is just a woman's right. It's, 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 it's a woman's right. And you know, Dave, we shouldn't be all that surprised when we see the loss of the ability to define abortion when uh, one of our Supreme Court justices cannot define what a woman is. I mean, that's that should be a real telling thing right there that we are kind of busy at redefining in this culture, redefining words and redefining meanings, redefining uh, the responses that happen, the just just the catastrophic results that are going to come from this and what i what makes me so sad dave about those in ohio because i know that the people there by and large have been known to be conservative and a red state and yet here in ohio like you said the gettysburg how well said was that the gettysburg of this battle happens in ohio and the other side won yeah, they won, and they won handily. They won, it was about 2 million votes to 1.6 million votes. So believe it or not, they're still adjusting tallies. But about 2 million to 1.6 million, so uh, maybe 2.1. So in essence, 500,000 more people showed up uh, to vote for abortion uh, as opposed to the 1.6 million that voted to protect human life. Now, what's interesting, Mike, and I know we're, again, we're going to be up against a break soon. We want to talk about how this uh, obviously impacts Florida because it does. But this was not just the, the, the window and the moment of political opportunity for the abortion community, but it was also they went for a 232-word amendment that is the most radical amendment that's ever been passed in the history of our country at the state level in a the constitution. They created a whole new human right that's never been done before, the right to reproductive decisions, with five subsets of rights, including abortion. That's never happened before. And the very magnitude of it, was something that legal scholars were staggered by and deeply concerned about. And they tried very hard to get the word out. But what we found in Ohio is not only do people no longer understand what the word abortion means, they've actually been co-opted in their minds to say it's it's simply a human right, it's a woman's right. But we've also found out, tragically, that every major media outlet in Ohio, uh, in regards to print, online, television, uh, et cetera, except a few radio networks, Every major media outlet in Ohio, the Associated Press, the Wall Street Journal, all of them are in the tank for the pro-abortion movement. We didn't get a fair shake from one media outlet, from Fox News to uh, the, the, the Wall Street Journal to the Associated Press to all the local papers and online sites in Ohio, all the radio and television people, except, I will say, except uh, radio was the best and the iHeart uh, Network gave us the fair shake. We are indeed up against a break. Dave Zanotti, my guest today, will be back continuing this discussion. This is Afternoons with Mike. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. So happy to have Dave Zanotti with me. Dave is the host of The Public Square, talking about this, uh, what I think is a debacle that happened in Ohio, and how sad that you were talking right before the break about the fact that you really didn't get a fair shake from all of these major sources of media. And again, in this day and age, we're having to see, we're having to come and realize that there is a narrative that they are pushing and they are on the side of the progressive left. 
And one wonders if we'll ever have a day again. I pray we do. I'm thankful for radio, talk radio. I'm thankful for, like you mentioned, the iHeart people that at least gave you a shake. But uh, the question I have, Dave, is that now that this has happened and all this 40 billion, I think I heard you say, with a B, Forty billion dollars. No, no, I'm sorry. If I, if I said billion, forgive me. I'm I'm thinking federal numbers. It's forty million dollars. Okay, I apologize. No, no worries. Forty million dollars spent with um, regards to advertising and getting the word out through all of the different ways. But the people, let's go to them for a second. The residents of Ohio that really still do care about life. And now they've been sold this bill of goods talking about women's health. Are they going to wake up and realize that, number one, they, they've they got a serious case of buyer's remorse over allowing this to happen? Is that going to happen? Or do you think they even realize, will they will they wake up to that? That's a great question, Mike, and it's why we pray. Um, uh, there is a spirit of this age of autonomy. And abortion is really just a subset manifestation of consequence based upon that spirit of autonomy. Francis Schaeffer talked about it in 1984. Um, he talked about autonomy uh, in 1984 being the spirit of the age. And Francis Schaeffer was right. He wrote that 40 years ago in The Great Evangelical Disaster, uh, uh, one of the last books he wrote before he died. And the spirit of autonomy, Schaeffer also likened to a spirit of happiness. In other words, I just want what I want, and I want to be happy. What's sad is abortion used to be a tragedy that was necessary at times to protect and save the life of, and health of a mother. Now it's celebrated joyfully, proudly, as a right of autonomy. It makes people happy. Now that's staggering in its consideration. It really is. Now to bring this to us here in Florida, and you mentioned it already, there was a document, this amendment that was crafted it was crafted in Ohio, and there's a similar type of crafting that's got this thing on the ballot here in Florida. What does Florida need to learn from Ohio? Well, we're going to try in every way to bring the lessons that have been learned in Ohio to Florida in this coming year. Uh, one thing we can say for certain is that there were 2.1 million, roughly, voters in Ohio that were willing to vote on a constitutional amendment that they didn't read. That's a scary reality. 232 words of an amendment that we created an entire website discussing called seethelanguage.com, which still exists and will be converted into a Florida website very soon to take on the language to explain to people what the words actually mean. Now, Mike, when we're talking about a constitutional amendment, this is not a right or left. This is not a, a red or blue. This is not a Democrat or Republican. This a constitutional amendment applies to everyone. Everyone. Is, and, and so when we are given the opportunity to vote to amend our state constitutions, to me it is unconscionable to think that anyone would vote on an amendment that they hadn't read nor that they didn't understand. I just don't understand how people could even remotely take that kind of responsibility in their hands. But the $40 million, and again, I apologize for my earlier mistake, the $40 million invested in just the last two weeks alone of the campaign by Soros and the Billionaires Club uh, basically doesn't care about you reading a single word of the amendment. They just want you to vote on a feeling. That's the first thing to understand. This will be a campaign about rights and feelings and anyone who opposes the happy feeling of abortion and women's rights is going to be brutalized across the state of Florida in the media. That's a reality. That's what we experienced. Now, the Florida amendment is much shorter than the Ohio amendment. In fact, the Florida amendment is contained in a simple paragraph. It's just two sentences. But in those two sentences, this amendment captures about, I don't know, the majority of what was done in the Ohio amendment as well. It's just in the Ohio amendment, they went wild, if you will, with their legalities uh, and in their goals that to, to get the, 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 the gold ring, to get as much as they could to create as much chaos going forward in the courts for years to come. Florida is a much tighter amendment, but it does 
in many ways the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the first thing we've got to do is we've got to help people see this language and help them understand what it is that they are voting on because it is it is vast. It is, and it, like you said, affects everything. It, if you correct me if I'm wrong, but it puts the power really in the hands of the abortion provider in many instances, right? And in, yes, and in the, um, in the, in the Florida language, that healthcare provider that has that decision doesn't even have to be a doctor. Wow. It's simply a healthcare provider. And that's not defined. That in and of itself is staggeringly irresponsible for a constitutional amendment. It is unprecedented. And there it is. See, this is the problem, Mike. When the Supreme Court returned the question of abortion to the people and their representatives, the people have options on how to deal with this. They can deal with it by statute or by constitutional amendment. Doing this as a constitutional amendment makes no sense. It makes no sense legally. It makes no sense in regards to the way that our our constitutions exist and the definitions. It doesn't make even any sense in regards to the concept of human rights. This is a statutory matter. This should be settled in the words of laws, voted on, debated in public, voted on by the people's representatives, and uh, amendable in the legislative process so that if they get the words wrong, or circumstances or situations change going forward. You have the ability to fix the law and make it better. Once you put these things in the Constitution, you've literally put them behind a wall of accessibility. And if you don't define every single word, the courts will. And that's exactly what is being done here. We are being set up for generations of lawfare where left-wing judges will control this debate until ultimately drive another case back to a leftist Supreme Court that will eventually be there and will do Roe versus Wade all over again. And this is all being driven by the abortion industry that makes lots of money and big pharma that make lots of money off of this industry. Yeah. Now, you've uh, I think you've got a lot of people that think, well, if it gets amended, we can always overturn it. That's easier said than done, right? Well, this is one of the reasons we opposed the 60% supermajority when it came out years ago in Florida, because what would happen is people like George Soros and John Podesta and the Billionaires Club that include the governor of Illinois and uh, Mr. Bloomberg from New York, these people know exactly what they're doing. They've turned politics completely into corporate enterprises, and abortion right now sells. So they're going to use this amendment in other places, Florida and Arizona and other places around the country, to to determine the outcome of a presidential election. They will spend manifold dollars more than they spend in Ohio because this is how they gin up voter turnout. This is how they have an issue that they have is a secret weapon. And, And this is where this is all going. And if you think that you're going to change this, well, you've got to, this gets behind the wall of constitutional protection, you've got to get to a 60% threshold to get it out from behind that wall again. That's the danger in this situation. And they've got enough money to buy as many points as they need or to try to. So I am not optimistic, Mike, that, that this is going to be an easy fight at all in Florida. Yeah, well, it certainly proved to be that way in Ohio. And, you know, one of the things, going back to Ohio one more time and Hopefully this can be a a point of lesson learned and uh, try to avoid it for Florida. The number of voters that actually voted in Ohio was shockingly low, especially when you consider the ramification and the consequences that are going to come from a vote like this. More people stayed home than they voted in Ohio. Is that not right? There's about 8 million registered voters in Ohio. Uh, 2.1 voted for this amendment, 1.6 voted against it. So about half the people who could have voted uh, did not. Now, what's even more troubling about that is in a significant study of the key counties in Ohio on voter turnout, comparing 2016, 2020, and then this election in 2023, a lot of people who voted for a Republican for the presidency in 2016 and 2020 did not show up to vote for life. Wow. I, I just can't imagine it. You know, I, the people, they, they talk about the flyover states, and Ohio is, is one of those flyover states. 
It, it is just such an important, it's been the bellwether state for presidential elections. How Ohio goes is often how uh, the, the election goes for a, a presidential election. And now we've got this thing that happens. So do you think that this is a bellwether for the rest of the nation, not just Florida, but the rest of the nation? Well, it would be a mistake for me to be cavalier in this moment because our organization has spent 44 years speaking out for life in the state of Ohio. And we not only lost this last election, we lost it big. And we didn't just lose on the abortion issue. Those same people by almost the exact same number count of votes turned their ballot page and voted to legalize recreational marijuana that very same day in the midst of an opioid crisis that's killing people on the streets in Ohio every single day. We have a problem with our neighbors. Now, this is a difficult situation because you had those issues right back to back with each other. And that tells you that that in an off-off election year where less than half the voters show up, uh, the left is very likely to win because they outnumber the right. That's troubling for people. They've got people that will work around the clock for their cause. And I know there were people walking even through our public's parking lots, even though they're not supposed to do that. They were still doing that. And their questions, again, are so innocuous, Dave, when you hear their question. Oh, sure, when they circulate petitions. Yes, that, that whole process in and of itself is, is tragic and unenforced by, by the people who are charged to enforce it. Yeah, they, they bring up these questions. They get you to sign what you think is a petition that is going to be like, yeah, I'm for women. I'm for women's health only to find out that later, uh, that's why I mentioned the word buyer's remorse. I'm just wondering if people who thought they were voting for something or signed up for a petition for something that was about women's health, only to find out they've just been killing babies with it. That's got to be a shock to a lot of people. Well, it is, but the bigger shock is going to be the fact that when people realize 20 years from now that America is in, in an irretrievable uh, re- re- decline based upon our inability to reproduce a society because our population is below replacement level as it is right now. This will only make that worse. We are literally killing ourselves as a culture. And the people that are running these campaigns have turned them into the level of a high school student council race. This is all about who's popular and who's not, who's pretty and who isn't, who gets on television backed by millions of dollars by a billionaire's club and is able to tell a sing-songy story that has no reality in the purposes of law and completely bypass the innocent human child in the womb. Those are babies that are being killed, and these people don't care. Well, my prayer is that Florida will wake up, the people of Florida will do the due diligence to study. And when it comes time to vote, my friends, please get out there and vote. Let's not let this 50% or greater than 50% stay at home thing that happened in Ohio. We're almost out of time, Dave. Christmas in America, it's going to be coming up the week of Christmas. You Give us those dates one more time so people can hear it. Yes, the broadcast will post on the 16th and the 23rd, or maybe even a couple of days before that. So just be watching those last two weeks of, of the Christmas season. Uh, and and right before Christmas Eve, you'll have both episodes available to you to listen to at any time. What a joy to have you on the program today, Dave. Thank you for the time, and we wish you and your wife and all the team members at the American Policy Roundtable a very Merry Christmas. Thank you, Mike. Merry Christmas to you. And we'll see you next time, friends, right here on Afternoons with Mike. (music) 